Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the show. This is Electric Liberty Land and I am Brian McWilliams here in the Lions of Liberty Network. I wanted to uh, welcome you all in after a momentous Super Bowl weekend. I will have thoughts about that, about the uh, the Super Bowl, about some of the advertisements that ran and uh, the rampant wokeism, which even though toned down this year, was still front and center as the start of the uh, the Super Bowl game. At which I could have won tons of money, ended up just winning a small amount of money, but still a win is a win. So I'll get to that in the second half of the show because I have a very special guest today that I'm very happy to bring on here. He has launched a new social media platform called Retalk. And I want to make sure that you you don't, you know, conflict and say, oh, great, it's going to be another getter clone or a parlor clone. It's not. It's its own interesting offering. And I'm happy to bring them on here uh, in just a second. So before I do that, though, I want to tell you guys that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Of course, that's got all the bonus content. That's got my good morning fuckhead rants, you know, my special show, which I complain about things right front in the start of the day. Because, uh, you know, start off complaining is the way to start any day. So you can get that. You can get Conspiracy Corners. And we just started doing the South Park recaps, which I do with Dan Smots over at the System is Down podcast. So make sure to get in there, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty or lionsofliberty.locals. Okay, without further ado, I am happy to bring in Pete Saborski, a man who sounds British, but is in fact Hungarian. And uh, he is joining me. Like I said, he has launched a new co- or new social media app it's been around for a few months, building up some base here called Retalk. Pete, welcome to Electric Liberty Land. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, it's it's been interesting. You know, I've gotten to know you a little bit, and uh, you have a fascinating backstory in that you are Hungarian by birth. You then went to the UK because of the environment in which Hungary found itself, of course, becoming you know, socialism and communism. So tell us a little bit about your backstory. How did you, you know, a little bit about your upbringing, leaving Hungary, why you decided to come back and how this is all tied into your, uh, I guess, your overarching sensibilities on civil liberties and free speech. Sure. Yeah. So <clears throat> I was, um, I was born in Hungary and it was still the the Soviet Union when I was, when I was born here. Uh, and it, it only lasted four years. So, you know, I was still only four years old when, when the Berlin Wall came down, but uh, obviously my parents have a lot of stories. My grandparents constantly told me stories about what it's like to live in socialism and communism. Um, and then my parents decided to move to the UK uh, for yeah for, for job job opportunities, and that's where I grew up. And I think that that gave me an insight into both the English speaking world and obviously to the Eastern European world. Uh, and that's probably part of the reason why I, I, I had the idea for Retalk and and why I've created it because I'm I can see the parallels uh, in in the whole woke movement in in the, the the communism the communist stories that I've heard and I can see what's happening in the English speaking world and it's to me it's 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 scary and it's also very very worrying um, and I really feel like I I want to do something about that and 
Uh, I've been a tech entrepreneur for for a long time, uh, so I, I feel like I can actually do something and create a new platform, which which I have now, or we have the team, obviously, as well. Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, and in that your background as an entrepreneur in technology, you had created a, a privacy-centric company. I don't know if you want to talk about that, just you know, to let our, our audience know a little bit more about, you know, you're a guy who clearly has... When it comes to business focus, it's still tied in with your personal beliefs. And I think privacy is a big part of that, especially as we look around to all the data that's shared, you know, how much is out there and how much we voluntarily give versus what is taken. So do you want to just go into that so people have a little bit of an idea of, you know, you're a guy that can get things done? Yeah. Uh, so it was called, it, it's called pro privacy and it's, it's a, uh privacy advocacy organization. And we also uh, kind of teach people what privacy tools to use online. And I started that nine years ago when, when I think privacy was kind of the major issue of, of tech. And obviously Silicon Valley was pushing all the data harvesting and, and, and doing all sorts of weird things with your data. Um, I, I felt like that's something that I, I want to help people to avoid. Um, I don't want big companies and governments harvesting data. So how can we help people do that? Uh, and then I guess over time, I think the, the big issue now is much more censorship and just the, the, the absolute domination of the, of the woke culture in, in Silicon Valley. Um, and I think, uh, that, that, that's why I felt that that's, that's the area that I want to work on. And that's where I want to start a new venture and, and help people who are frustrated with, with this problem, just like I was. Yeah, most definitely. Well, it's interesting. You know, Donald Trump, of course, had hit on, I think part of what his popularity was pushing back against woke culture, right? He wants to, he went out there, he was saying yeah. better or better or worse, you know, he'd said what on his mind, he tweeted out, of course, notably was kicked off Twitter. Um, the president of the United States deplatformed to show you the power of these people in the, in the tech sector. But he hit on something, which is that a lot of people are sick of being controlled, They're sick of this speech being policed. And it is policed by a very specific segment of the population, which is the uh, progressive left. And when we look at the way in which, you know, I guess technology has given us these forums, right? This is the public square. It is the public space, which is where dialogue is happening. What do you think, you know, when you look at the juxtaposition of the public square under communism and the authoritarian policing of words, of the ability to congregate virtually versus what we have now, you know, are you seeing the direct parallels? And how do you think the best way we can combat this is? Because I thought Donald Trump, when he got out of office with all his money, would start his own platform or at least would start, how about a server farm, Donald, that you can have conservative viewpoints hosted on so you can't get to platform by Amazon? <laughs> yeah, Um I think I, I still think the the crucial difference and why I'm I'm quite positive is because there's there's still a marketplace which which in communism or socialism you have less and less of or maybe none at all. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I really believe in the market in and I'm I'm very very libertarian leaning and I think it's it's almost we're we're in a transitional period where I think the market is starting to catch up to the problem but we're still in this situation where. All the big platforms are, they've been built in Silicon Valley. They're dominated by woke culture, um, which obviously doesn't fit for a lot of people. But the platforms, are, they, they have done a very, very good job of these platforms and the network effects and everyone's on them. And the, the user interface is amazing. Um, so it's very hard to leave them. But what I'm hoping is that eventually the market will, will correct. And I, I really don't believe in that we need government intervention. I think it's just, we, we just need to be a bit, little bit patient 
Uh, people who are frustrated right now just need to be a little bit patient and just wait for the market to create new products. Um, you know, if there's a need out there, which I think there definitely is, then the market will create that. And obviously, as the founder of Resalk, that's what I'm I'm doing. I'm trying to fill that market need. So um, the way I see the market developing is I think social media, just like old media, is going to fragment by political views. So just like you have CNN and you have Fox uh, you're probably going to have social media companies for all the different political groups out there um, because you know, social media is a way to consume information and most people want to consume information through people who are similar to them. Um, and that's why old media split down sort of political lines. And I think it's inevitable that that's going to happen in social media as well. Yeah, I would agree. And, and by the way, I'm curious, why? So two questions. Why Retalk? How did you come up with that name for the company? And then uh, as a secondary question, as I said in, in the introduction, when I was telling people who to expect to be on with me momentarily, uh, you know, this is not just another parlor. This is not a getter. This is not a Twitter Twitter clone. Um, you know, I've described it more as a Reddit for the right. And it's very your your app is very community centric. You know, it's focusing on different topics, not just hot takes. And it's also got a blogging component, which, you know, I'm, I'll announce it right here. I'm going to start a comedy blog on the Retalk platform because I think it's interesting and I want to support Woo-hoo. it. So <laughs> check that. Yeah. So check that out, guys. I'm going to get, I was sick last week and this week I'm going to get around to doing some comedy posts because uh, I used to have an ongoing blog, which, um, for some reason, Ford invited me to come out and like be a, an ambassador for their their brand back in the day. And this was back when you could get away with saying far more and horrible things on this blog. So uh, I'm looking forward to be able to say horrible things on uh, on Retalk. <laughs> but but yeah, tell me a little bit more about why you decided to make it a little bit more community centric and also where the name came from. Yeah, maybe maybe the second part you know, uh, about community is more important. Um, I, I think. Social media has two really big problems right now. Uh, one of them is the censorship and the moderation issue and how that's that's very woke and left-leaning on current platforms. But as you said, the other big problem is that what's what's really rewarded now on, on social media is hostility, sound bites, short conversation. That's what Twitter is all about, but I think Facebook as well. Um, and that's, that's just not what I want to create and that's not what I believe in. Um, mm. There's, there's a, it's a small difference, I think, uh, but uh, the format is different on Retalk and it makes a, makes a difference and it encourages debate. It encourages thoughtful conversation. Um, and I think that's that's my other big mission is it's not just about censorship, but it's about creating uh, a platform with better discussion. Uh, I think that's, that's really, really important. Um, and in terms of the name, it's I spent a long, long time and I tested a lot of ideas with friends about what name it should be. And Obviously, you're limited to what domain you can actually buy. So, so <laughs> a lot of I had a lot of ideas, but then I couldn't actually turn them into a into a website. Um, so it took like like one or two months of thinking about all, all sorts of possibilities and you know what reflects what I want Retalk to be. And it it, it it was really amazing when I actually found out that Retalk is available. I can buy it. It's a really good brand. So, um, so it, it took a while to find it, but I think it works very well. <laughs> Yeah, I do too. It's it's catchy. It's short enough that it's easily memorable. And to to get back to the conversation about community building, and you know, as I do think that one of the biggest problems we have today as a society, as the way we communicate with each other, is that things are taken as sound bites and predominantly out of context. I mean, the entire flap with Joe Rogan and the N word right now is a good example of this because you know somebody put together that supercut of Joe Rogan just dropping N-bombs and you go, okay, fine. <laughs> but when you look at the context of it, typically 
It's him having discussion about whether or not you can say the N-word or a lyric of a song or somebody else said it and he is now saying it. But you take that and there's no context to it. You clip it. Now, granted, somebody could come on to retalk and clip out one, you know, one sentence of a longer conversation. But I think there's something to getting away from short out of context or short form one sentence replies and showcasing, look, we're having a conversation here. You know, this is a, this is a deeper perspective that we're talking about. And as you noted, you know, it's broken down kind of Reddit-like into the community. So you could talk about gardening or talk about anything else. So it's not just going on there to see what the latest thing to get pissed off is. Yeah, I think the there's something about the the Twitter format. Um, I mean, I've got a Twitter account, but I, I try and log out and only look at it um, rarely. It's... It, it, it does seem a little bit like cigarettes to me. Like it's just you know it's bad, but you just have to do it. There's some, it hijacks the brain in some way, especially so, if, especially after you've had a couple of drinks. It's yeah. the same. <laughs> yeah. And then you can post even angrier than the normal. Right <laughs> <out>. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and and I think another important part uh, from a practical point of view is that uh, if you build on communities and if you build on interest topics, you can build like a grassroots community. You don't need VIPs to follow. You don't need yeah. politicians, um, influencers, things like that. And that was another reason why I, I chose this format is I'd, I'd much prefer to build, uh, on, yeah, build on community of, you know, normal everyday people rather than sort of these, just following these crazy VIPs who, um, you know, that's what Getter's doing. That's what Parler's doing, but I think they're very, very reliant on these VIPs. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Well, and it's also interesting in that, you know, typical people find that you can have a Twitter following, but it, you know, building that Twitter following is something where you have to be on there imbibing the, the social media cancer that is Twitter every day and cranking those cigarettes in order to build a following. You know, the more you post, the more people see the content, the more yada, 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 right? This is the way the algorithms work. With Retalk, I like that you can I said, create a community, but your content is going to be far more appealing to people. You're writing how you're how you're communicating your ideas rather than just jumping in and, and yelling, you know, 25 times a day or however many times you have to do it and using random hashtags just to get eyeballs on the content. Well, and it's also not like Twitter, you're probably when you go on there, you're only going to see the top content from the last day or like the mm -hmm. last 10 minutes, depending on when you log in. Whereas with retalk, I think it's a bit more permanent. Um, and I think maybe I'm old fashioned that way. I, I can still remember when we had forums and things like that on the internet where you actually went on and you could read what happened in the last day. And, um, yeah. it, it just gives you more context. It gives you more time. It's, uh, it's, it is maybe a slower, but, um, I'm, I'm quite proud of that. And I think it's important to still have that because. You can't just have like 10 minute sound bites every 10 minutes and you just go crazy. It's information overload. Yeah, precisely right. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's pivot away from retalk, because as I mentioned, you know, you're based in Hungary. I'm just always curious to hear after the pandemic um, with the, the measures that are being taken, you know, right now, Trudeau in Canada has suspended civil liberties because of the truckers trying to push back against the mandates. What's the situation there? You know, have has Hungary gone down the same path of authoritarianism like everybody else? You know, how have they been? with the response from the general public to that? Are they been for it? Are they complacent? Are they now starting to push back like so many of us are? And has the government been lying to you guys like they've been lying to us here in America? It's been, I've been very, very surprised at how 
fairly laid back and libertarian it's been here. I think maybe it's something to do with how the West just doesn't want to take any risks anymore with anything. And, <laughs> and maybe Eastern Europe is still more willing to take risks. Um, I, when the pandemic hit, there were, there was a strict lockdown when no one knew anything about the virus, but I think that that's almost reasonable. But then as soon as we started to find out information about, you know, whether it spreads on surfaces or things like that, um, the, the, the lockdowns after that became a lot more lenient than, than in many Western countries. So I think you can compare it to sort of Florida or Texas a lot more than like California and the other, or Canada or, or the other crazy yeah. places. Um, so I, and, and because of that, I think e even though we did end up having something like a vaccine passport, but you don't really get restricted by your vaccine passport. And mm. um, I think from also the 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 vaccine mandates were restricted to they were they weren't forced on you by the state; they were forced on you by private companies. Which, which again, I think is you can debate about that about how good that is, but at least it's not the government actually requiring something, but right. it's private companies. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least it's voluntary at that point. You can yeah. choose whether yeah. or not you want to shop at a store that's requiring you to show vaccination uh, in regards to the government shutting down businesses and forcing you to be essentially, I didn't like that the government was forcing businesses to become the police and become the enforcers for vaccinations, you know, in America, in LA, even though all these other counties and States have dropped their mandates, we still have it. And Essentially, now business is the hostess. You know, we have this poor 16-year-old girl. It's her first job getting <laughs> screamed at by people because they don't want to show their vaccine card. And I don't blame them for yelling and I don't blame her for being upset about it. But it was a ridiculous proposition. And, and I agree. Give it to the businesses. People can decide where they want to shop. But tell me a little bit about what's the disposition of Hungary. We talk about free speech. We talk about um woke culture has hungry adopted a lot of that is it just universal where the youth is gonna the youth went woke now it feels like they're pushing back tell me a little bit about that how's the environment there as a whole no it's there's there's not woke, the woke movement isn't very strong here and i i think you can oh, take nice. that back to our to our history and to what what hungarians have been through our our history is about um really about survival we we were always getting invaded it was uh, the ottomans <laughs> the turks the russians the austrians um so so we were all about survival and um and we um uh so we don't have that guilt feeling that uh, I think many, what I see in a lot of English speaking world is, is people are drawn into feeling guilty about everything in, in your history, things you, you know, you haven't done, but somehow you, it's your fault. Um, and we just don't have that. And when, when woke people come along and try, try and make us feel guilty about our something, our history, we, we just, we just don't understand it. It, it almost seems right. funny. Like it doesn't make any sense. Um, so you just don't have that sticking point really of, of wokeness. But I think also because of that, um, and because we're still part of Europe and we're still part of the EU, um, the EU's trying, the woke parts of the EU are trying very, very hard to, to kind of press us down a little bit and, and make us comply. Um, so there's definitely a fight going on, but, um, I, I can, there's definitely some resistance and, and even some, um, yeah, we, we don't really understand the whole woke thing. It's, it doesn't really make yeah, too much well, sense. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty funny. It's an interesting thing to point out that a country that's constantly been fighting to maintain its culture, uh, maintain its borders, maintain its coherence. So you said because it's invasions, there's always the threat of it. I, I bet that is something that is 
born in of like, look, we had to defend our point of views. We have to defend who we are, how we are. And I wonder if that's something, you know, America, we, we never get invaded, you know, it's like the, the British, we kicked them out and since then, no invasions. And I say this even in regards to like foreign policy issues, but, and with the guilt is that we, so many people here, especially in the later generations, haven't had to deal with anything. You know, the rest of the world is so far removed physically, uh, as far as an impact societally on us, as far as dangers of violence really coming home to roost. America's built out this empire wherein all of the problems we cause don't really have a lot of impact at home. And I wonder if wokeism is also a reflection of that. People are complacent. People are safe for the most part. And, you know, when you have that luxury, you don't have to worry so much about trying to defend who you are and these things. And you look instead to pick it apart because you've come so complacent that you do have that guilt. Yeah, it's almost like you, it, it was almost better in the Cold War because there was someone to actually compare yourself against and fight against. And, um, and, and it's weird how now, now with China rising up, it, it seems to have somehow changed. And it's almost like, a lot, a lot of the Western world doesn't want to stand up to China, even though they do have dramatically different values and okay. uh, and, and a way of operating. Um, so, so something's been lost between the Cold War and now, because um, I think the, the Cold War kind of brought Americans and the Western world together to to stand up for your values and. Uh, that's that's really needed again, I think. But um, some, something's missing. <laughs> I think. Well, you know what's missing is the. Now there's so much financial incentive for us to be involved yeah. with China, you know, on, as a trade partner, but also as a, a cultural partner, because so many exports of TV and film and everything else. You know, we have so many ties that nobody wants to rock that apple cart. And yeah, even I, though, I yeah, right, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, yeah the, I mean, the NBA is a perfect example of this, right? You've got LeBron James out there who is the most, you know, the wokest, most insufferable NBA player always on the forefront of whatever stupid topic needs to be commented about. And yet he will say nothing about China and the treatment of the Uyghurs, uh, you know, alleged treatment uh, and nothing about jailing journalists, nothing about the way in which they've ripped apart Hong Kong, which was promised to have a sovereign government and be able to maintain its laws and cultures. And now China's just completely reneged on that. Um, you know, there's too much money to be made there. And that's where it's interesting. I wonder had we had the trade relationship with the Soviet Union that we have with China, if the Cold War would have been very, very different. And it, in fact, probably would still be going because the Soviet Union wouldn't have collapsed if they had adopted more of that capitalist model, right? Yeah. I think I, was, I, I heard this, someone, uh, I can't, can't remember the name, but they were sort of saying there, were, there was at some point at which the discussion in, in many, many places, including in government, switched from... Uh, being about democracy to being about money. It was some, maybe yep. sometime in the 70s or the 80s. And that's that's where something shifted, where it wasn't about democracy and freedom anymore. It was about money. And as much as I'm free, I'm for the free market, the, the big part of that is democracy and 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 freedom. And when when everything starts to be about money, that obviously you can you can see that's a problem with China that you it, it overrides a lot of the values that you're you're kind of supposed to have, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. And we see that with, you know, not only at our, uh, our cultural trade partners, but just as far as who, who's getting arms, you know, who's getting, uh, weapons provided to them, you know, right now in Yemen, there is virtually a, a genocide ongoing against the people there between the United States and Saudi Arabia. And yet we're still selling weapons. We're still providing them support, you know, and it's inexcusable, but 
the money is so potent there that it just continues to, to fund it. But anyway, one more thing I want to pivot to. We'll talk about, you know, maybe another 10 minutes if that works for you. And then as I mentioned, yeah, I, of course. I have to go to, to run off to a ribbon cutting, which, you know, is, oh, I, I always hate it. As, as a guy working in public relations, it's always the worst because it's just um, – <laughs> it's a lot of pressure to get people to show up. And, you know, people are yeah. like, who cares? So anyway. It's all for show. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to talk a little bit about just – you know, I find it interesting too to talk to people that are entrepreneurs – just about starting a company, getting it going, right? Because we have a lot of people out there. And I think one of the problems with libertarianism, right, is that we don't necessarily have a lot of people that are business leaders that are creating new content, new technology, new, you know, new companies to be leaders that we can point to and go, look, this is also, this is a libertarian who believes in free markets and I'll be goddamn, he's actually doing it. He's actually creating things. So, Tell me just a little bit about your process. You know, how do you how do you come up when you come up with a company idea? How do you how do you actually get that ball rolling? You know, how did you start the first company? Was it a huge pain in the ass? And do you have any tips for people that might want to start a similar company, might want to get into the space and try to make a difference? So I think for me, it was always, <clears throat> as I'm a serial entrepreneur, this is probably my, like I probably tried 20 or 30 different ideas in terms of uh, starting a business. Um, when, when I was young, it was all about kind of hustling and, and making money. And that, that was my, my motivation. And then as, as things progressed, I started to go after more and more meaningful goals and probably retalk is kind of at the, at the pinnacle of that. Um, Cause I think it's, it's really, really important to, to fix these issues. Um, so I think what if, if someone's thinking about starting a business, what's really important is to think about what your abilities are, what motivates you, and trying to find a, a balance between that. Um, and then also, you, you also need to challenge yourself as well. Um, I think Jordan Peterson, for example, is much better at, at, at explaining this, but you need to kind of find the balance between order and chaos. So what you're really good at and what also challenges you. And... Uh, taking retalk as like an example of that um i it, it's a very difficult task because building a social network is super hard and especially breaking the network effects and the of big tech companies currently is is much more difficult and i i'm realizing now how how much more difficult it is than when i started um but i i, I had some financial resources from my previous ventures i knew that i could actually build the platform um and also i it's a very, very important um, problem to solve. Uh, so I think when those come together, that's like the ideal um, entrepreneurial situation where where you can, you know, it, you think you can do it, and also it's it's a challenge as well. Um, yeah, I think that's so it's the, something where you know you said if, if it, the emphasis is everybody wants to make money, right? We, I mean, Money is great. Um, you know, our, our podcast, our brand, Lines of Liberty, has been around you know for quite some time. And same thing when we started, it was more about the message, and then you know, fortunately, started to make some money along the way. But it's not the primary driver, and I think that is important because it is so hard. And if you don't believe in it really strongly, you're just going to get burned out and frustrated because. If you don't care that much and you're not getting the results, if you're not making money and you just find yourself spending an inordinate amount of time on something that looks like it's going to fail and that really you don't care about um, as far as your goals, you're probably not going to see it through anywhere near as much as something that you truly have a connection with. Yeah. 
But also on, on your previous point on, on libertarian uh, entrepreneurs, I think mm -hmm. uh, if, if we maybe forget about Silicon Valley for a while, I think many, many entrepreneurs, at least the ones I've met or know, um, they are, they do lean quite libertarian, but, um, but I think Silicon Valley has gotten so powerful that it, that it's been almost taken over by, by, uh, by very, very powerful people. And you can call that the deep state or, or, or just power brokers or whatever. But I think mm -hmm. they've, they've, with their products, um, politicians and powerful people have recognized that they need to control Silicon Valley and they need to control the products in Silicon Valley. Um, and, I almost sometimes I almost feel sorry for Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg because I think maybe deep down or when they started they were maybe more libertarian but they I, I'm sure they have a million guns pointing at their heads telling them what to do and it, it it can't be a very easy situation and that's probably why they they they're they're not they don't seem to be very libertarian anymore because they they're just they're they're way over in over their heads in terms of the power games. Yeah, well, I, know, I think Jack Dorsey for me seems more authentic than Zuckerberg now, or at least has stuck mm -hmm. to a little bit more of its principles. I mean, he was tweeting out things from, uh, you know, from the Mises Institute, for example, <laughs> and, you know, embracing Bitcoin and decentralization, which is interesting. So I think maybe, and I think he's also, I think he retired, didn't he? I think he stepped yeah, down. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. you know, that I think that goes to show you. Zuckerberg is still part of the machine and, and is and is more than happy to be part of the machine of control. And uh, as we know, Facebook happily shares all of its data with the government and, and reports people, etc. So I think he's you know happy in that position. But maybe Jack's a little bit more principled and said, you know what, I'm I want to get out of this. I want to do something else. I don't need to to be the puppet for these, you know, autocrats or technocrats that now are, are making the, the world a worse place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, I think the, the new CEO of Twitter is even worse now. So it's probably Twitter is going to go even oh, more downhill. Maybe anyway. Jack Dorsey was like the fight, the last, you know, yeah. some, the last resistance and now he's out. So it's just going to go yeah. full control now. <laughs> I figured they'd deport Chelsea Clinton, you know, just like, here you go. Why don't you run Twitter? You deserve it. <laughs> well, Pete, why don't we wrap up here? Yeah, tell people again, you know, where to find you personally, what you, you know, where they can get involved in, and download Retalk. I know it's on both Android, it's on Apple, it's on the website. Um, so tell everybody where they can get you, get all of your content, all the apps and what you think they should do when they jump on the platform, what's the best community for them to get into? <laughs> yeah, app is probably the easiest. So you can just search for Retalk on on uh, uh, your iPhone or your, or your Android. Um, hopefully, Google and Apple won't ban us for a while. Um, uh, <laughs> but if they do, you can go to the website. That's just uh, retalk.com. Uh, and pretty easy to sign up. You can select a few sort of famous YouTube channels you can follow. Um, and then in terms of communities, uh, a lot of the content is very political, but I think if you subscribe to some of the non-political communities, it's it's uh, that's where the really interesting conversation happens. So, like the the history community, or cooking, or what's some other ones, um, or just the funny memes community. Yeah. Yeah. I said gardening, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, funny memes exactly. And I said, you know, I'll add my my comedy blog on there. So no, it's you were know, talking that it's it's interesting. It's got the blog component of it, which I thought was very unique um, compared to a lot of these other social platforms. So I'm looking forward to getting that going and advise other people to blog it up as well. You know, hey, free blog. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> All right, Pete. Well, thank you so much, man. Congratulations on Retalk. Uh, I hope I get a lot of people on there uh, from this interview for you, and I look forward to using it immensely. Yeah. So I hope so too. Uh, once, thanks for having me. <laughs> my pleasure. All right, guys. I will be back later. I'll uh, I'll take us out a little music, throw it to a commercial, and I'll be back with my Super Bowl breakdown as well as some of my thoughts on advertisements. And of course, I have to talk about Pete and I didn't get into, it, but I got to talk about. Hillary Clinton spying on the Trump campaign vindication <laughs> for Donald Trump. Anyway, all right. Thanks, Pete. I will talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. We are back in black. Literally, I am in black. Look at this. Wearing my wax on, tax off t-shirt. Our old logo. Get them while they're hot, guys, because we're going to introduce a new line of Beautiful t-shirts with the new logo, but get these sweet poppin' daddies while you can. Wax on, tax off over at lionsofliberty.store. And of course, if you did jump on Patreon, you get a discount. Same with our, uh, our locals, folks. Let me know if you're ordering. We have a code for you to get yourself a discount on all the merchandise. And uh, why would you not want to sport our names, <laughs> faces, get a tattoo? Where are the tattoos? Lazy ass fans. Anyway, welcome back. Before we get into the second half of the show, I've got to tell you about our longtime sponsor, wonderful sponsor, I Trust Capital. Of course, I Trust Capital. You should know by now, you should already have an IRA set up with them, either Roth or regular IRA, to make sure your retirement funds are protected. Now, this is, of course, cryptocentric. That's the beauty, that's the future. But you don't have to just go with crypto with iTrust Capital. You can also go with hard metal, silver, gold. You can trade over 26 different cryptocurrencies on that platform, put them away, protect them. Because the idea of the IRA, of course, is to invest, to put money away that then is tax-free from the government when you wait to take it out later. But you don't have to. You can use iTrust Capital to trade with the lowest transaction fees in the industry of any of the cryptos that they have available. So get on in there, itrust.capital. And if you start an account, if you transfer in another account and put it in there, you're going to get $100 of free Bitcoin. Yes, you heard right, folks. Go to itrust.capital forward slash lions and use promo code ROAR. Now you are going to get your $100 of free Bitcoin. You are going to get your security. You'll also get a, by the way, fantastic industry report about the state of crypto, what's going on right now. And of course, you can trust these people. They're backed up by two different insurers. They also have thousands of reviews on Trustpilot because, you, you know, I wouldn't lead you astray. So check them out. Itrust.capital forward slash lions. Use that promo code roar. Okay. Let's get back into it. So a couple of things I wanted to jump in and talk about. Obviously, the Super Bowl just happened. I was hung over as all hell yesterday, just beyond. Now, the Super Bowl, of course, is here in Los Angeles. I am not a Rams fan, nor will I ever be. I am one of those people that is loyal, maybe to a fault, right? So I have my team. It's Philadelphia. It's the Philadelphia Eagles. That's who I root for. I do not root for Rams. I do not enjoy their fan base. Uh, I don't think they're the greatest fans out there. I think that they uh, don't deserve it. And I would argue... From the amount of people, the amount of people, there's almost nothing. If the Lakers play a regular season game, there's fireworks going off. The Dodgers, people are going crazy. Rams Super Bowl, I guess people were into it, but you wouldn't have been able to tell me walking back, you know, hitting a bar late at night, carrying an unopened thing of cheesecake bites, which 
Funny story, but you have to join the Patreon to hear that. Also, I'm not going to go into the Trudeau uh, suspending civil liberties conversation today. I did that on my Good Morning Fuckhead rant, so you have to join the Patreon to hear that. Patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty or LionsofLiberty.locals. But I was very drunk walking out, but I'm not hearing, you know, the hooting and the hollering. People aren't up celebrating. Maybe it's because it's a Sunday night, but I guarantee you, if it was the Lakers, if it was the Dodgers, you would have had people out all night. So I can't say I'm ecstatic for the Rams who have won. I really wanted the Bengals to win personally, but I still have some observations about the wokeism of the NFL. Now, the NFL's ratings uh, went up substantially compared to last season. Last season, you'll remember they famously started doing the Black National Anthem along with the regular National Anthem. They also had the jerseys that you're allowed to put your, you know, your own Black Lives Matter stuff on the back of. They also had people doing different, uh, I don't know, I don't even know what you call them, heraldry pageantry to the woke left to try to placate, to try to buy into the whole Black Lives Matter movement. It was cringeworthy. It was aggravating. It was annoying because people go to sports because they don't want to have politics and bullshit shoved down their throats. They want to see people on a field trying their best to win a game, which they have some emotional investment in. The NFL said, you know what? Never mind. This season, I don't remember seeing really much of anything, at least any of the games I watched. I don't remember seeing much uh, at all in regards to virtue signaling to the left. So that was refreshing. And you see that with the boost in ratings. So when the uh, Super Bowl comes around, I'm like, okay, let's see. Are they going to do anything real special? Or are they going to go out of their way to really kowtow to the left? And I guess, yes, you'd say they did. From, from moment one, they did. Because instead of just starting the game up, they trot out the little ladies of football, you know, and it's all these ladies, it's all these girls aged from probably eight to 14 who are playing in their football leagues. And now I'm guessing they're playing flag football. Look, if girls want to play flag football, go for it. God bless them. Um, again, to me, it doesn't seem like it should be a big deal. Just like, and I've said this before, just like if there's the first black coach of something, the first black astronaut, the first lady, whatever, the first, you know, I don't care what race, I don't care what sex it is. I would expect people to have those positions of power. I would expect people eventually to work their way up into those things, even if it's not a cultural norm, even if ladies coaching football isn't a norm. I can't say it's even a great idea because I don't know if you're going to get the buy-in from the players, but if somebody's really good, they will get through on their own merits, hopefully. Now, granted, we know that's not the situation. We know that's not the way in which the world works right now. We know people are propped up and positioned and pushed forward for cultural and political reasons uh, more than they are many times for their own merits. But still, I would expect as culture moves forward for these things to happen. So I don't celebrate them. I just don't give a shit because they seem like they should be happening anyway. So... When they see the Super Bowl, they trot out these girls. They make a super big deal about these ladies playing football. Probably the members of the Future Women's Concussions of America Foundation. (laughs) As these girls and football goes mainstream and girls start playing football and just start getting the crap knocked out of them. You know, I, I I have a joke. That I was talking about, you know, when I did stand up recently at my buddy Adam's house, and uh, he's been a longtime fan of ours. Um, but uh, he, uh, and, and again, I, I should I'll just say Adam Choit, that's his name, right? Yeah, and he has his own podcast, um, which you should check out. 
And I'm blanking on the name right now. Sorry, Adam. It's, it's people I find interesting podcast. Oh, God. Yeah, I feel bad. I, I'm blanking on the name, but I'm recording this and there's no stop button. So I'm just going to keep going. So uh, I was at, at my buddy Adam's house and I'm doing stand up. And uh, this one joke, and I, and I remember it's just so funny because that movie 355 came out, The 355, which is basically a Ocean's 11 except with all chicks, right? Which they already did Ocean's 11 with all chicks. It was called Ocean's 12, right? As I roll my eyes, oh God, more of this. And it was predictably terrible because it's cookie cutter crap. It's written, you know, it was written by some, some female uh, screenwriter who had written a couple other things that were middling. And it was a movie that you could just tell from the trailer was swapped out. We got to cut. We got to get all the races, right? Which they did. We have to get all the, all the cultural things, which they did. We got to get our Chinese lady in there because you have to go for all these different markets now. Right. And there's literally, by the way, rules in Hollywood. You have to cast certain people. You have to cast certain races. You have to cast certain sexes doing certain, they have to have a certain amount of screen time talking. It's all sort of crazy crap. But that movie came out and I'm rolling my eyes and, and but I'm just laughing too, because You've got these movies where they're trying to make it as though these women who, I'm sorry, yes, do have biological differences. They're not as strong as men. I'm sorry, but you're not, ladies, are out there. And I don't care how much ninja training you have. If you're going up against similarly trained guys, they're going to beat the shit out of you. And my joke was that as a father of a daughter who I believe will be able to do anything except probably beat the crap out of a bunch of guys. I'm just joking that, you know, while I love all this, all this women's lib stuff, and I'm excited my daughter can see a female action hero, I am not looking to a generation of girls going out there and getting the holy crap kicked out of them, trying to fight men twice their size and thinking they have a shot. <laughs> and the funny thing is, you'd say, well, Brian, it's a movie. You're not supposed to take it literally. People aren't out there actually fighting dragons. Mm, okay. But if that's the case, isn't the left being very patronizing to these women if they know it's a fantasy and portraying it? Because then we just have to accept that women going out there and beating great martial arts and beating up people and being super spies, that that's a pure fabrication, a pure fantasy. But of course, that's something you can never admit. So they're in a little bit of a funny catch-22. However... That was kind of what cracked me up about the Super Bowls. They start off with this, oh, okay, here's women, here's these girls playing sports and yada, yada. It just was uh, it just was unnecessary. It just was unnecessary and dumb. I doubt many of the women out there appreciate it. I think probably a lot of the a lot of women that are getting interested in getting into football, their parents probably have even greater concerns about them getting concussions or getting hurt and whatnot than other sports. And you already have a dip in football as far as people going out for it because of the health concerns for the long term. But like I said, I'm sure these girls are playing flag football. So that was my first thought. Halftime show, you know, Eminem kneels because Eminem's a uh, woke cunt now. I can't stand. But I just thought it was funny because it was made for me. I'm, you know, like in the old days, you'd watch the Super Bowl and you're like, why the hell are they trotting out the Rolling Stones for the 50th time? You know, not that the Rolling Stones are bad, but they're like 70. What are they doing out there? Go home. You know, put something out there that's more recent. Put something out there that people want to hear that's on the radio currently. And meanwhile, they trot out these old rappers, right? And it's 50 and it's, uh, and it's Snoop and Eminem and, uh, you know, and, and Dr. Dre's out there and I'm, and I'm sitting there dancing. I'm at the Super Bowl and I'm like dancing with my daughter. I'm getting all into it because now it's my time. I make the most money. You know, like I'm the target demographic, people that are my age, people that are like 40, where that was our jam in college. And we have flashbacks to grinding with people on the dance floor, right? In college at your drunk fraternity parties or whatever it was, because obviously I was drunk at fraternity parties many, many, many times. So 
Yep. I get it now. I get it. I get it. I understand now why there's all these old old bands playing the Super Bowl because we are the dominant generation as far as money, as far as spending, as far as you know everything. So if you didn't like that old school rap, you suck on this wang. I don't give a damn. Thank you, Super Bowl, for catering to my generation finally. Now, naturally, the Super Bowl is all about advertising. And uh, there's always the top 10 list, right? And I remember seeing a few commercials. Coinbase's, I thought, was awesome. Not only because I support crypto and I'm excited to see what the, the reaction of that was, but because it was a perfect combination of old school retro that was simplistic enough that the older generation will understand and long enough, by the way. It was a 60 second ad with simple music and it, basically a QR code bouncing around on the screen. Now, if it was 15 seconds. People wouldn't have been able to figure it out enough or gotten their phones out and scanned it. But 60 seconds, you're curious. You go, what the hell is this thing bouncing around for 60 seconds, which is an unbelievable amount of time, showing you how much money Coinbase has. 60 seconds of that QR code. And it is brilliant. It's curious. It strikes people. Even if you are not into crypto, even if you don't, you, like I said, even if you're a little bit older and you don't get it, you have your phone. People, somebody explains it to you. Somebody at that party is going to pull it out and go, what the fuck is this? Turns out it's Coinbase. Genius ad. A couple other ones of note. Michael Myers made his, uh, his appearance as Dr. Evil. Uh, an enjoyable callback. We can all enjoy the dynamic between Dr. Evil and his son, Seth, Seth Green, and the whole, you know, Rob Lowe's in there. And they're doing the old thing. She's yelling. There's the father-son dynamic. He introduces a new baby instead of the instead of the midget, because rest in peace, Vern Troyer. Now he has a baby, Dr. Evil. And they're touting GM and their EV offerings. Now, I will say I took some umbrage to this commercial because they're saying, well, Dr. Evil, you can't take over the world. You're no longer the greatest threat to the world, right? There's a bigger threat and it's global warning. Wank, 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 wank. And of course, I'm, I was drunk enough. I believe that's exactly what I did as I'm sitting on the couch watching this in front of my daughter, the other toddlers. I'm like, oh, wank, wank, wank. So that part was aggravating. I'm not surprised by it, right? But they were saying, oh, you've been replaced. Global warming is the number one threat to humanity. And thus, Dr. Evil, you need to save the world. And our plant's going to be making you know, emission carbon capture emission vehicles. And we're going to have 30 EV vehicles by 2028. And Dr. Evil and all the gang, they get in their EV vehicles and they drive away. Now, while the climate change stuff pisses me off, it's still, it's culturally relevant. I guess if you're going to embrace this narrative, and that is what I will call it because I still have not seen enough empirical data to show me that anything about the climate change movement that they've been telling us is true or that it is, in fact, the greatest threat to humanity, which it is not. We've already seen humanity overcomes the technological advancements of humanity combined with our ability to survive means that we will surpass, overcome, find out, figure it out, unless we get hit by a meteor and a nuclear winter happens, in which case I don't think we have to worry too much about global warming. It's funny, the media narratives were all the time being told there's comets coming and also that the climate change is the greatest uh, danger to humanity. Yeah, you know what? I'd say they're both pretty remote as far as things that are going to kill humanity, but the comet would be the bigger worry for me. But don't tell that to Greta Thunberg. So while that was annoying, that still was an interesting enough commercial. I guess if you're going to smack me in the face with a leftist fish, it might as well be in a comedic environment. So then the one uh, one last one I wanted to talk about, which I'll, I'll actually play for you. I shouldn't get dinged with this because um, advertising typically... Ah, shit, did I lose my window? 
advertising typically is something that you can play because they want you to play it. Like they're not going to put up the uh, they're not going to put up the flags. They're not going to tell you you have to take it down because they want as many eyes as possible on the ad. And really, what makes an ad good is me talking about it. You know, even the Doctor Evil ad I have an issue with. That's what makes it good. Oh, what well, well, I'll call it too. I, a lot of these ads, by the way, were not extra woke. A lot of them, I didn't even see an, a real emphasis on making them extra colorful, you know, and, and the United Colors of Bennington. I didn't see an emphasis on trying to make them extra LGBTQ. Now, I may have missed some because I was hammered and talking and, you know, doing everything and texting and whatnot during this event. Uh, but from the top ads that I'm reviewing, a lot of them just didn't go down that route. And maybe they're finally getting it that people are sick of this shit. If you want to have a gay couple in your ad, go for it. I don't give a damn. But don't try to make it the center point or something. Don't try to make, you know, uh, this uh, a 17 foot tall you know, trans female swimmer that's breaking all the records, you know, as a center point because people are sick of it. They're sick of being, being preached to woke. But Irish Spring had a very funny commercial. Um, okay. But Larry David, he was in a commercial where he's basically, and it's another crypto center commercial for FTX, uh, which I guess is an exchange, but it is a commercial where Larry David through time is, is just fucking up. You know, everything that's a good idea, he's taken a pass on. So let me go ahead and, uh, whoops, shit. Let me go ahead and play this. I got to wait for the damn video and I'll share this on my screen. So those of you watching on Odyssey, watching on YouTube, Odyssey preferable since YouTube keeps trying to kick us out, <laughs> you can enjoy it. So here we go. I got it queued up. Let me share my old screen here for you. Sweet, lovely watchers. And we will share this and you and I will have ourselves a wonderful time. All right, here we go. So let me get uh, Larry playing here. All right, and here we have it. And of course, why is that? I call it. <laughs> All right. Never mind. There we go. Now the I got wheel. it, folks. Eh, I don't think so. This is a miss. Russell James is behold! It's a fork! I got dead forks right here, baby! <laughs> a toilet? We're not animals! We go outside like humans! Hancock! No king! The people shall have the right to vote! Even the stupid ones? Yes! Edison, can I be honest with you? It stinks. Nobody's going to the moon, ever. Why not? It's far, it's too far, it's far. Come on, I'm totally music. Like I was saying, it's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. There you go. Okay, so... Now, you could probably guess what my favorite part of that commercial was, right? There, there were actually there were a couple of funny things. Number one, the moon stuff, eh, it's too far. Right? Funny because, as you know, there's always conversations about whether or not we really went to the moon, right? We go down conspiracy lane. Dan Smots, my buddy, of course, is famous for his thoughts on the moon landing and the documentary, which he has promised and which we don't know is ever going to come. But I'd rather he not work on the documentary and instead work on finishing up my new jingle, my new, my new theme music. And, uh, and by the way, we just issued our brand new South Park recap. Um, I actually might share one of those just uh, on my Electric Liberty Land solo feed, which, of course, you all should be subscribed to as well as this main feed. And uh, I may share it on there just so you guys get a little taste of that if you want to join the Patreon also. But 
Funniest thing about, I just loved it. <laughs> like, like uh, the, all the people will catch a foot, Hancock. And he's like, even the stupid ones. <laughs> because, you know, look, we all have, we have our issues with democracy, right? You know, we libertarians don't view straight democracy as the answer because, yeah, even the stupid ones are out there voting. And then even the stupid ones get to put their out, get their vote out there. They don't even have to show ID in half these places now. They don't have to know anything about anything other than the government's going to give them more money or promise them more this and that. Or they're pretending that they're going to tackle racism and they're going to tackle, uh, uh, what do you call it? Extremism, right? And really, all they're doing is these people are going out and thinking they're voting in their self-interest or because they're convinced they're doing the right thing when they don't know what the hell they're actually voting for. They don't know anything about the monetary issues behind it. They don't know anything about the secondhand causes, the the fallback, the blowback, everything that is, that is involved in these votes that they're doing. And uh, yeah, even the stupid ones are voting. So anyway, that wraps up the Super Bowl. I'll add one more thing about the Oscars, and then we'll move into... Wow, the story about the Clintons. I'll talk about that about 10 minutes. But the Oscars, which has had just abysmal ratings, and for good reasons. It is unwatchable, leftist, propagandized shit. All right? From the movies that are nominated to the winners that are selected to the, the absolutely cringy... I'm trying to think of the the word I'm looking for. Torturous speeches, these insular blinders on people give when they get up there that are just so just condescending to the every may, everyday person of, of America or really, uh, really the world over. It is unwatchable. It is drunk. It, even the music numbers, even the pattern, you know, it's just been just awful. And even the hosts were just preachy aggravating. So the Oscars said, guys, we got to, we got to turn this ship around. We got to turn this good ship lollipop around and get it back to Candy Island. So who do they pick as the Oscars host this year? Amy Schumer. I'm going to let that sink in. They're trying to right the ship. They're trying to claw back some of the audience that they have intentionally bled away through self-inflicted wounds, a million cuts of progressive thinking that have been inflicted upon the Oscars to make it insufferable and unwatchable. So they bring in Amy Schumer. Noted insufferable leftist Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer, who has not been relevant in 10 years. Amy Schumer who is as unattractive as she is unfunny now. Now, granted, Amy Schumer, maybe back 10, 15 years ago, would have been funny, back when the whole I'm a dirty mouth chick comic thing was big. You know, her, Sarah Silverman, Lisa Lapinelli, all kind of in that same vein of comedy, all 10 similar jokes, similar fashion, right? I'm a girl that I'm going to say dirty, dirty things, and uh, it's going to be shocking until everybody just does the same thing, which is what happened. And then they all went woke. Well, maybe not Lampanelli, I don't think went too woke, but Sarah Silverman, super woke, incredibly unfunny. Now she's managed to parlay that into a career in film. She was in that stupid Jennifer Lopez movie that just came out and got terrible reviews predictably, um, but not being funny, <laughs> just being there. And of course she's quasi canceled because she did blackface before. Now, Amy Schumer 
I don't even know what the last thing she was in. I, I, I can't remember the last time I heard her name outside of a conversation about how bizarre it was that Anthony Jeselnik was banging her for a while as a good looking man. Confusing and confounding to all of us. And still to this day, is. it's a mystery I will never be able to figure out. Unsolved mysteries needs to take it on. <laughs> we need a man in a trench coat to investigate this mystery and find out what she had on him. But I don't know who these people that are casting the Oscars are. Why wouldn't you ask? How about Jon Stewart? Go on hands and knees. Jon, can you please save the Oscars? It would have the highest Oscar ratings in 20 years. Jon Stewart's not too big to host the Oscars. Billy Crystal was one of the biggest names in Hollywood. Big box office draw. He hosted the Oscars every year. And I enjoy Billy Crystal very much when he hosted the Oscars. If If Billy's not too big to do it, you're not too big to do it. How about Steve Carell, right? Two big great Oscar shows. Everybody likes him. And John Stewart, the people on the left and the right both still enjoy him because they think he has dignity. They appreciate scaring both sides. Steve Carell could do a great job with it. How about uh, Michael Che? He's black. <laughs> He's on SNL. He's a guy that, by the way, if you're not familiar with Michael Che, has a fantastic show on HBO, which he looked at some of the black issues, but in a funny way, and took on some of the, the absolute garbage the left has been pushing and pushed back on it. He's a guy that I respect. He's a guy that a lot of people that are in the middle, that are of our kind of thinking, or that are probably even on the right, respect because he does not go full board down the road. And of course, he's also been on the Legion of Skanks podcast. So he will take the risk for the funny. He doesn't mind. Just a couple names that would have been vastly better than Amy Schumer. How about Hillary Clinton? (laughs) She owes the Oscars. So let's go to that. So the John Durham probe, has looked into the Russiagate scandal, all of the backdoor peddling of information, all of the backdoor hacking that went on. And you'll remember famously, the Democrats said that they were hacked by Russians. And that's how all of Hillary Clinton's private emails were released to WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks and Julian Assange, by the way, who, who has gotten a stay of execution for now. But they went after him tooth and nail and blamed him for endangering American lives as if a scandal created wasn't more dangerous to the American empire, if you will, than a couple of leaks published about emails and uh, a couple of CIA things, which resulted in no American deaths whatsoever. But of course, the Democrats accused Donald Trump of working with the Russians to hack uh, Hillary Clinton's servers to spy on her. They accused him of doing all sorts of deals in working with spy agencies on the Russian side of things, that he was in fact corrupt and working for Putin as an arm of Vladimir Putin, a thing that just made zero sense in the history of the world. One of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. And this follows a trend of Democrats now being exposed and Hillary Clinton's campaign being exposed of paying funding for private agencies to work, talking to public agencies like the FBI, the CIA, the NSA. We don't know exactly because these are redacted names, right, of tech executives that were working with people behind the scenes that had access to government information, i.e. getting information on Donald Trump's server, getting information on the White House itself, getting information about his contacts, his cell phone operations in and around Trump Tower, all sorts of information that you would just simply not have. Now, the Clintons, to my knowledge, have, have she hasn't spoken to it yet. Now, she's supposed to give a speech at the Democratic National Convention, I think, in like a week, which is hilarious. And, of course, Hillary Clinton is speaking at the Forbes whatever for women. She's being honored again, guys. And God knows what she's being paid. 
But I'm waiting to see what their response is. This is just broken, and I have had a very busy day today, so I haven't had a chance to look and see what the latest breaking news is. But I will say this follows an incredible pattern of Democrats getting out in front, and I believe this is intentional, accusing their opponents of doing exactly what they are doing, knowing that this is something that gives them at least some modicum of protection because they can then say, hey, you're just saying we did it because you're doing it. We said you did it first. So you're, this is just turning it back around on us. It's a, it's a, a preventative. It's like a, uh, what do they call that? Pre-crime. <laughs> Except they're doing the crime and then projecting the pre-crime onto their opponents. But it's just fascinating that we spent two years hearing about everything that Donald Trump had done in a full fabrication from the Steele dossier, which, of course, we know confirmed, paid for by the Clinton campaign. But now all of this, all this new information coming out from the Durham probe. And I'm fascinated to hear when this actually starts getting, you know, when they start holding these hearings and things start to be more and more public. I want Clinton to go to jail, by the way. I wanted her to go to jail before. Now I adamantly want her to go to jail. And not just for all those murders, because as Norm MacDonald famously said, you know, they killed all those people. Killed all those guys. Rest in peace, Norm. I'd love to see her in jail. And I think most Democrats would want to see her in jail if this is true, because these people are now... I mean, it's, tr- it's interesting. We have two prongs of reality that are coming to the forefront of things that were denied by the Democratic voter base, right? People that are, are dying in the world, Democrats forever. One is COVID. They're being faced with the realities that they have been lied to, they have been manipulated, that they have been fear-mongered by their, dem- their precious Democratic media, which if they, if they acknowledge it or not, the, the media is vastly and vehemently left. 90%, right? They will, they're faced with the reality they've been lied to by their government. They've been lied to by their, you know, Biden, by Fauci, that they have gone along and done the, the good quote unquote thing and they were wrong. Whether or not they'll admit it is the question, but a lot of people are starting to turn on COVID. Even as my wife has said, even her business calls avowed people that are on the crustive side of things are saying, this is ridiculous. You know, I, I'm so angry that I went along with this and I'm over it. So you have that prong of reality. This is combined with another prong of reality. These people see that they were lied to, that Hillary Clinton and her campaign and the operatives that they have at the DNC that work with the media so closely lied to them about everything, that they used millions of dollars, wasted our taxpayer money to go after this, you know, this imaginary scandal with Donald Trump. No matter how much you hate Donald Trump, you have to see how viciously corrupt it is to have a system wherein you do have the FBI, right? We know the FBI was colluding, working with Hillary Clinton behind the scenes. We have the FBI, you have, like I said, either the CIA or the NSA or somebody within the government that is feeding information, sensitive government-only information to the Clinton campaign. You have collusion with foreign entities and spies to create a false report that then is happily parroted and published by the media to keep our attention on a complete fabricated farce. And now these people are faced with that other undeniable reality that this woman they have idolized for years, despite the fact that she is a woman that laughs about getting rapists off. Well, this woman is, in fact, the piece of human garbage that we have been saying she is and that they have been supporting this horrible thing for probably some of them, most of their lives. So it's an exciting time to be alive. <laughs> it's an exciting time. Um, okay, last thing, guys. Let's talk just a little bit about you know the the Ukraine situation, right? 
Now, my wife, you know, we've been talking about a little bit, and I said, look, Russia's not going to do anything. There's not going to be a situation in Ukraine. It's not, it's not overly, I don't think it's beneficial enough for Russia to go in there and, and cause an international incident where a NATO is going to get involved, where we're going to have a hot war again. I don't think anything's going to happen. This is all saber rattling unnecessarily, but it is a convenient distraction for the Biden administration, which is just reeling and taking body blows on every possible front from the economy to the supply chains, to the truckers, to the COVID, to you know, you name it, they're getting it and rightly so. So they need a distraction and a nice little hot war would be something nice that we could point to. And all the media coverage would happily pivot to what's going on with Ukraine. I mean, they're already pivoting to it because they don't want to cover the real news. And I'm fascinated to hear how much of the mainstream media covers this Clinton news. But it's a fascinating situation in that it's a chicken or the egg for me right now, right? I look at reports and, uh, you know, our Bobby Wilson is one of our supporters um, and had, you know, his, has a I think actually, well, I was going to say he had a, a really interesting company that was like a consulting entity where he was talking to people and trying to help them practice for job interviews and for uh, interview situations. But Bobby had posted a Twitter feed, which he's following, which is the real life updates that are people are posting, not mainstream media, but photos from the ground showing that, yes, there are tanks being shipped in. There are guns being shipped in. Now, question is. Is this setting the stage for an invasion, right? And these are not actually going into the Ukraine border. They're getting close on Russia's side. So is this something where Putin's just doing it to, to piss America off? Is he actually planning on doing it? Or because the U.S. is moving troops over there, because NATO is mobilizing over there, because all these all these buildup is taking place on the Ukrainian side, Putin now says, all right, well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to go ahead and beef up my side. Again, chicken or egg. Is he doing a defensive posture in regards to an offensive posturing from NATO and the Ukraine, right? Because our military industrial complex, because our spying agencies put out this bullshit report that Russia was going to invade Ukraine, which has been denied by the Kremlin at, at all, all fronts, right? Full stop. This is nonsense. We're not going to invade Ukraine, right? They've been very vociferous about that. So which is it? Was this made up nonsense and Putin's responding to it with a show of force because he doesn't want to look weak? We know who Putin is. We know this man is uh, uh, somebody that views strength as a virtue. He knows that his leadership depends on always exuding strength. There's a reason this lunatic rides around on horses with no shirt on. There's a reason he he lets, you know, his hockey team lets people score goals. He scores goals on the on the best players in the world and all this other nonsense. He has to project a visage of strength. So is this simply more of the same? projecting strength in response to this made-up nonsense from our own spy agencies, the international community, the build-up, the NATO. Again, in my opinion, assuring that the orders are coming in for the bombers, for the tanks, for the missiles, even though we have a chip shortage and these people can't actually produce any of the things that they're promising. Uh, there's supply chain issues on all fronts, but keep the orders coming in, keep the down payments coming in. So let's make sure that there's a, a war that could be happening at any moment. I still think nothing is going to happen. So there you go. That's my take, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show. And by the way, you should definitely check out. So 
Tyler Colford, buddy of ours, Crypto Man is his rap name. He has a song which you might have noticed Ross Ulbricht is back. He's putting out some NFTs to try to get out of the jail, try to raise some funding. Free Ross, hashtag Free Ross. And there's a song of the same title, which if you haven't heard us talk about in a little while, good. Check it out. I'll link to it in the show notes. It is called Hashtag Free Ross. It is a fantastic song by my man, Crypto Man, rap song. You're going to love it. And I want to remind you to listen to Burning Daylight, a podcast from my buddy Matt McKinley over there. Great show. Cowboying, cattle, uh, not rustling, but you know, cattle herding, horseback riding, whiskey drinking, liberty talking. So check that out too. Burning posture on the end of that end daylight. Otherwise, that's for me, guys. That's going to do it. Me, Brian McWilliams, and the Lines of Liberty. Of course, we have three shows here. Subscribe to all three solo feeds if you would. Subscribe to my Electric Liberty Land solo feed where you get some extra shows here and there. And give us a new review if you would, if you'd be so kind to go to that Electric Liberty Land feed and write a review and a five-star. That would really help me out here. And share the show, guys, please. Share it on Twitter. Tell people about it. Thank you to those of you out there. I see a lot of people have been uh, tweeting at us and saying, hey, here's my favorite shows. Really appreciate that, guys. And if you guys are going to the California Libertarian Convention, I think I'm going to make an appearance there, do some voting, and uh, and hopefully say hi to Davey Smith on Friday night. So there you have it. For me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged in to Liberty.